everything you need to run your pool service business all in one app. And, and it's true. It's It's got a, a CRM, CRM functionality. So you communicate with your customers. So the pool owners, you can email them, you can invoice them via our platform. There's a mobile version that when the techs are in the field out cleaning pools, they, they're pulling up our app and they're swiping left, swiping right, depending on what they're measuring, taking the readings. They take photos of the of the equipment and take photos of the pool after they leave and email automatically goes to the pool owner saying hey here's the, the readings here's the pictures that we were here here's look your pool's clean um, so it does all of that hey 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 everybody my name's ryan atkinson and you are on the business cloud excited to welcome two high-performing individuals today that are on the same mission to be everything you need to run your pool service business all in one app uh, I'm excited to welcome Jack Nelson, the CEO, and Pete Freeland, the executive chairman of Skimmer, to the podcast. Thank you both so much for being here. I'm very, very excited for you. Uh, thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Yeah, appreciate it, Ryan. Whenever I get two people on the podcast, um, I always like to ask because people want to know background on you both. How did you two meet? How did this connection really start? When did it form? And how did it really get going? Uh, you want to... Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take that one. Um, I had uh, sold my last company and I was kind of in between gigs and Pete's a longtime software investor. And we had a bunch of friends in common that kept pointing us together saying, you guys should really connect and, and maybe try to find something you guys can do together. And the first time we spent any real time with each other was it was really at the, the height of COVID. So I'll never forget it was, you know, the six feet mandate was in, in full effect. And Pete and I live in the same neighborhood. And so we decided to go on a walk together. And so I brought my dog and I'm walking and I'm on the, the curb side and Pete's on the street side, but he, he kept kind of encroaching on my six foot distance and kind of running me into the curb. And uh, so I remember I got home. I was like, I really like this guy, Pete. He's fun. He's very smart. He's got some really great ideas, but man, he really kind of encroached on my, my space. Um, and so that was really the first time we had, we had met previously. We live in the same neighborhood. We've got a lot of friends in common. Kids go to the same school, but that was the first time we spent any real time with each other. And that was, like I said, about two and a half years ago. Interesting. Did you know, like, thinking back to that time, you really liked him, but like from, was there like a connection where it's like, oh, like, I really want to do business with this guy. Like, I really want to build something with him. I, I think, yeah, there was a spark. There was definitely something I said that could be really fun to do something um, with him. And I, I remember after I, we kind of made it official, I had a, a good friend reach out to me who had worked at the, the family office, who was a business partner in my last gig. And I, my friend said, Jack, I'm, I'm so happy for you because I've heard so many great things about Pete and you've never had a real thought partner in the business like you're about to get. And and it's going to be really exciting. And that, that kind of was the, the validation or validating moment for me. Interesting. Was there, so Pete, were you, you were already working on Skimmer, right? At this point when you guys first met? Actually, no. So I had started uh, my company and I had made uh, an investment um, in a company up in Dallas. Okay. Um, but at the time Jack and I met, I was kind of looking for a new project to work on. Mm. And it was only after we met um, that, that we identified Skimmer. Um, we had sort of talked about, hey, you know, what are the characteristics of different projects that might be fun to work on together? And um, Skimmer kind of sort of fit in, yeah. in what we had discussed, uh, but it actually happened about the same time, I would say. Interesting. 
So can you guys give a little bit of context on both of your backgrounds? Uh, you guys come together, like Jack, are you like the technical guy? Peter, you have the investment background. How did like the puzzle come together where it's like, oh, I have this idea for a project. Um, how does this puzzle come together and how can we actually create a project? Um, so I have a pretty traditional uh, private equity and venture capital background. Um, I spent about uh, 15 years uh, predominantly on the East Coast, working for uh, private equity firms and venture firms um, with a focus on uh, B2B software. And um, at my last stop at a firm called General Catalyst, we'd recruited um, a founder CEO um, who lived in San Antonio. He was actually the CEO of Rackspace. And um, Long story short, um, I ended up leaving General Catalyst to move to Austin about seven years ago, um, really to collaborate on, on software investments here yeah. in Central Texas, and, which is how I found my way here. And, and uh, yeah, I've been, um, I've been focused on what we call expansion stage software investing in kind of the, in, in the Texas area now for about seven years. Interesting. Yeah, and my, my background's probably not as traditional. I, I went to law school, always knew I'd want to be a lawyer and uh, went to law school, uh, moved back to Austin, practiced law here for a little over three years, at which point I decided to move down to San Antonio and do a startup there. You know, we had good success. It was a financial services company yeah. and we had good success. We sold it, kind of ended up reacquiring some of the company and ultimately sold it again. That was in 2019, and then uh, was taking some time off, like I said, during COVID, and then and then uh, Pete and I got connected. Interesting. So we have an investing background, we have like a law background, and they come together, and these two backgrounds create a baby, and that baby is Skimmer. Uh, can you guys tell us like what Skimmer is and how this project started and really took off? Go ahead. Pete. Uh, well, I'll tell you the origin story of how we <laughs> identified Skimmer, but I'll let Jack talk about what Skimmer is and sort of what we do for customers. Um, so about this time, um, you know, COVID was starting. We're all spending a lot of time in our house. I was paying my pool bill. I didn't have an appreciation at the time for how challenging and difficult it is uh, yeah. to manage these businesses. Um, but that's sort of what led me to really doing some research in the industry. And it so happened that I was friends with my pool guy, Eddie Lazo. <laughs> great entrepreneur. Um, he was over and I said to him, I was like, Eddie, how do you run your business? And he was like, well, I use QuickBooks. And then yep. he said, I just downloaded this app skimmer and I love it. It's fantastic. You know, it's, it's, you know, helped me. It just saved me so much time. Um, yep. And to him, that was the most important thing. And so, you know, kind of as a, as the investor type, I sort of said, oh, geez, like, Sounds like this is an interesting, you know, kind of play on the industry and um, <clears throat> talked about it with Jack and he was like, I'll let him give you his perspective. But, you know, he was, I thought he was going to be like, that's like not interesting at all to me. Yeah. Um, but, but he was interested. Uh, and then we candidly like tracked down the founder of Skimmer mm. who he wasn't on LinkedIn. He wasn't on the website. We had to like guess at his email address. <laughs> and, um, so Ronnie Hash, who's the founder and just an, an amazing person, an amazing entrepreneur. Um, he almost didn't respond to the email, but he was like, you know what? What the heck? 
um, called us back. And, you know, as we got to know him, um, we really just fell in love with the industry. And he had built just this awesome company. And he'd never spent a dollar on sales and marketing, but he achieved, you know, 1,500 customers and, you know, it was growing like a weed. And, um, you know, I'll let Jack talk a little bit about the company and, and why we got so excited. But it was, um, we were just fortunate to be able to, you know, uh, create a relationship with Ronnie. Yeah. Uh, and, and which, by the way, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's still a really strong relationship today. He's still with the business as an advisor and a, and a shareholder in the company. Um, but um, yeah, it just, uh, it was one of those kind of coincidental things where paying a pool bill one day kind of led to, you know, the, um, our partnering on this, uh, on this project. Yeah. The, uh, the only thing I'd add, I think Pete summed it up, but he heard about Ronnie on a, on a podcast. Uh, uh, there's several podcasts for the pool service industry and, he uh, he dug deep and found him on you know episode 128 of a, of a certain uh, podcast, and that's how he was able to know Ronnie's name and guess at the email address. Peter, what I really like about that is like you identified. I think does that come from your investment your investment backgrounds? It's like what are the margins on this guy, and like let me explore this a little bit more. Is that how that yeah. thought process grew? Yeah, hundred um, percent. So my first job in private equity was at a firm called TA Associates, and, and actually a bunch of my investors are my former bosses from TA. Oh, but my job at TA was like sort of they give you a phone and a computer, and it's sort of like, hey, find like interesting, high growth, capital efficient, founder owned businesses that are looking for capital, and so it's like you're constantly looking for these little signals of growth of you know, sort of un un compelling underlying secular trends yep. where there might be, you know, a business that, that was benefiting from them. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty thematic when it comes to identifying new investment opportunities. The nice thing for me is I invest in companies that are at a stage where, um, you know, they're reasonably small, like seven, ten million million in revenue. Yep. And so there's usually, if you can identify something that's happening in the economy that's interesting, you know, like a good category, a trend that's got, you know, sustainable growth opportunities. There's usually a business in the size range that I look that's benefiting from it. So interesting. So it's like finding those trends that are happening within the market, within the economy right now. And it's like, hmm, there's something in there that I think could actually happen. And then it's finding under $10 million and running with them. Or what do you look for? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's um, industry trends. It's the, um, I guess, intersection of there's um, there's a, a market tailwind uh, for a variety of reasons. And then there's a business model that's attractive. So mostly I focus on software. So it's, you know, highly recurring, scalable business models um, whose value grow as they add customers um, and scale. Um, and it's the intersection of those, you know, kind of two things. Um, you know, you're sort of finding a good opportunity in a category that you think, you know, has intelligence behind it. Interesting. And right before this call, you actually told me that you were an early investor in HubSpot, which is true to me because I worked at HubSpot. I'm really curious about those conversations that happened in the mid 2000s. Uh, can you take us back to those times where you were an early investor in HubSpot? Yeah. So um, just to uh, be super transparent, I worked at General Catalyst, uh, which was, uh, 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 you know, a uh, 
early investor in HubSpot, led their Series A. And uh, one of my mentors, Larry Bond, uh, who I worked with for, for five years at General Catalyst, is, is fantastic, actually led that investment. And what I can tell you, um, General Catalyst was sort of famous for um, you know, identifying companies. Uh, so Demandware would be one of them. Kayak would be one of them. Cool. Uh, more recently, Stripe uh, would be an example where um, you know General Catalyst has been able to identify really just exceptional uh, founder teams yeah. early, and um, I think HubSpot kind of fits in that category of when they were um, originally partnered with HubSpot. Um, it, it was just founders, um, mm-hmm. and I think they were just kind of blown away by the founders and the opportunity and um you know hubspot <clears throat> has had just this incredible uh run um as as a private company initially and now as a, as a public company and um you know i would say that they're um they're unique in a lot of ways um their culture their sales culture and um in a lot of ways they have a great product but it's sort of been a sales first company where a product is caught up in a lot of ways. And so at the time that, um, you know, at the time that General Catalyst invested years and years ago, it, you know, it was, it was very early and it was a bet on the team. Ah, that's awesome. Uh, I want to talk, I want to ask Jack. So you talked about like great product, great sales team, great culture. Jack, you've been the CEO there for about two years now, a little over two years, uh, two years, basically on the dot almost. Um, what has been when you joined two years ago, I mean, how, what was the first thing that you implemented in putting together a great product, a great sales team and a great culture? Um, we were lucky in that we really didn't have to touch the product. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. Don't touch the product. Ronnie had built a fantastic product. And like Pete said, wow. he had 1500 customers all through word of mouth because the product was so good. One, just the product that was also the support. He, uh, he had his uh, younger brother, Ryan, and his mom, Donna, running the support team, and they're still part of the company today. Uh, and so one of the commitments we made to Ronnie was, look, we're going to make sure no matter how big we get, we're going to deliver top-notch support. And in an industry like full service, that matters. The fact that they can, if something's not right or they don't understand how to use something, they can pick up the phone and actually get somebody on the other line um, makes a difference. These guys, our customers are you know out hustling their tails off. And just being able to commit to that level of support make, makes a big difference. And it's part of the reason we get so much referral business even to this day. Um, but so the main thing I was really tasked with is, hey, build a team. And part of building a team, right, is building a, a strong culture. So I'd say that's those are the, the two biggest things we've really tried to, to implement is have, a, have a, a team that can scale. And part of that, again, is have a culture that uh, can attract really talented folks. Because let's be honest, like who... Who's ever heard of Skimmer? Who's ever heard of technology for the pool service business? Yet we've been able to attract some unbelievably talented folks to this organization because we have a very strong culture. And part of that is, again, back to the product. Our customers love us. And it's fun to work at a place where your customers love us. Yes. Let's talk about the product. So I download Skimmer. I'm in the pool service business. I download Skimmer. What exactly am I getting? And what are the, like, the benefits of Skimmer? Yeah, we've, we've got a tagline, it, everything you need to run your pool service business all in one app. And, and it's true. It's It's got a, a CRM, CRM functionality. So you communicate with your customers. So the pool owners, you can email them, you can invoice them via our platform. 
there's a mobile version that when the techs are in the field out cleaning pools, they, they're pulling up our app and they're swiping left, swiping right, depending on what they're measuring, taking the readings. They take photos of the, of the equipment. They take photos of the pool after they leave and email automatically goes to the pool owner saying, hey, here's the, the readings. Here's the pictures that we were here. Here's, look, your pool's clean. Um, so it does all of that. There's also a route management or sort of routing optimization function. So if you're the owner of the company and you've got 10 techs out in the field, you want to obviously make sure it's as cost effective as possible to build your routes. So, you know, we talk about the benefits. There's a massive cost savings between the, the, the labor cost, the fuel cost, and also the uh, sort of the parts and equipment. A lot of a lot of pool service companies forget to bill for certain services they did because it's all pen and paper and they, they forget to, to write it down. And so you track all that in our app. So there's massive cost savings, but I would also argue there's pretty significant revenue generation expansion sort of opportunity because the cost savings you're able to service more pools, but because of the professionalism that our technology can bring to our customers, they get a lot more referral business. So, hey man, my pool guy sends me an email and they forward the email to their friend who has a pool, who contacts their pool service company. So I think the savings are, I mean, there's both the cost savings and also the revenue generation. And the only thing I'd add to that, one stat we're super proud of is our customers grow, um, you know, the number of uh, pools on their route, yeah. an organic average about 30% a year. Um, in an industry that's growing more like four or five percent a year, so we really see this validation that um, the customers that use our our product are really benefiting and and sort of outgrowing the market itself. That's interesting. Yeah, that's uh. So one of the reasons, like I said in like my email to you, Jack, when I first reached out, is I I was a pool manager for two years. I understand like the documentation. Like I'm going back to that pool like office. It's all documents, like documents everywhere, like huge binders full of documents and skimmers dig like digitalizing all of this and throwing it into a CRM. Um, as you said, I mean. Peter, is there like a feel here where it's kind of like a HubSpot? HubSpot was in the early days of CRM and Skimmer seems to be in the early days of CRMs, but just for pools. Um, absolutely. I, um, you know, I think a lot of these vertical markets, um, the app that's, you know, sort of the delighter for the customer yeah. is different. I think what we found when we invested in Skimmer was that um, efficiency gains and the ability to save people time was really the hook um, and, and, and has been. Um, but as industries mature, um, you know, there's the opportunity to offer additional feature functionality. And, um, you know, I think a lot of our customers think like entrepreneurs think, want to grow their businesses. And, you know, uh, what in, in, um, you know, the ways that we can help them, I think they're, they're interested and open to that. So, um, you know, we'll we'll see in terms of the future roadmap. Um, you know, sort of every feature that we'll offer, but just say the broad bucket of marketing service is definitely one um, we've always thought was an important component of the bigger picture and and something that's in our product roadmap. Yeah, that's um, like can you tell me, is there when you talk to like these people that are running these services, these pool services businesses, is there something there where it's like, mm, I don't really want to adopt this. I want to just keep doing it the way that I've always done it before. Is it that type of persona or are people receptive to this? 
You got both. And, and candidly, there's sort of a, a generational passing of the torch that's happening to where, you know, people are taking over their parents' business and yeah. the son or daughter understands that, hey, there's probably a better way to do this. And, and that's our target market, right? We, we talked to plenty of sort of older pool service guys who we don't even bother with because they, they've always done it this way for 40 years and why change now? And so that's, that's you know, those aren't the folks that we're, we're really pursuing, but there is, there is a shift toward, toward technology adoption in the industry for sure. And you're seeing that not just on our side, but like, the, you know, the smart pool technology. So there's IOT that's now going into pools, there's connectivity. So you can see as a homeowner, you can see what's happening in your pool from an app. And so there's, you know, the, the entire ecosystem is, is evolving. Interesting. Another question that I was just curious about. Um, so in Iowa, a lot of people don't have pools in their backyard. Uh, but if I take a little flight over to Chicago, I'm seeing pools like every in every backyard. I'm curious, is there a particular region that you guys are targeting more? Or is it really just an all out blitz across the United States about who has a pool here and who can we service? We, we did a ton of research on the industry before we made the investment. And, and a lot of it was market research. And we learned that about 70 to 80% of the pools in the U.S. are in really five areas. And that's Southern Cal, Arizona, Texas, Florida, and Georgia. So that's where most of the pools are. That said, we now have a skimmer customer in all 50 states. And so, you know, there's pools everywhere that need to be serviced. But but our, our customer base tracks where the pools are, which is in those really five geographies. Interesting. Um, going to market research, uh, someone wants to start a business. Uh, I've got this great idea. Like, I know I can do this. I know I have an idea about how I can build it. What's the importance, though, of market research and validating it? Has there ever been an opportunity where it's like, mm, the market research doesn't really support this, but I just have this intuition that I think this could work? Or is it all you have to follow the market research? Well, I, I, I'll give you my perspective on that. And and I would say that different people might give you different perspectives. Mm -hmm. um, for example, a venture capitalist might say, hey, if the addressable market isn't $3 billion, I'm not interested because you can't build a big enough industry. Jack and I are simple folk, uh, and <laughs> we don't necessarily ascribe uh, to that um, ideology. Uh, sometimes we we joke, you know, with the uh, there's there's riches and niches, um, you know, kind of way of thinking about things. Um, my personal view is market leadership uh, supersedes um, the size of a theoretical um, addressable market um, as it pertains to the attractiveness of um, a, a specific market category. So what I'm looking at when I do market research is, is there an 800 pound gorilla? I just frankly don't want to compete with, right? Yeah. But, you know, am I competing with Amazon? Am I competing with Salesforce? Am I competing with like Workday or somebody? Mm -hmm. um, you know what? Like, I would rather be um, the leading provider in a smaller category than the number 15 player in a super competitive category that's much larger. Um, I will say that, um, you know, a couple things. Um, fragmentation of a customer base tends to be attractive. You don't mm -hmm. end up with one or two customers that account for a huge amount of the market opportunity and therefore can, can beat you down as a vendor. If you're a software company, um, the number one competitor I want to compete with is pen and paper and um, doing things in a really inefficient way. 
So the, the level of technology adoption is also like a critical um, component of, of market research. Um, now, hasn't adopted technology at all means it's really fertile, um, mm -hmm. but you almost want to catch an industry like right as it's like getting to that tipping point, right? And I think um, sort of in a lucky and an un unintended way, that's how, sort of where we intercepted Skimmer, which was those 1,500 customers that Ronnie had convinced to start using his app um, really were like sort of the early adopter um, you know, group. And I, and I think now we're in more of the, uh, I don't know, like the, you know, the, the, the majority of people are seeing the benefits of adopting technology. Yeah. And, and that'll, I think we'll have pretty steep adoption for the next five years. Um, so I don't know if that's helpful, but that's kind of how I think about it. Um, and just with the caveat that different, you might get different answers from different people. And this is the, the Pete answer. And I don't want to speak for Jack as a proxy, but since we're in this investment together, I think, you know, kind of we look at the world the same in, in this, uh, in this area. Yeah, for sure. We look at it the same. And I'll, one huge additional benefit of being the market leader is, yeah. is as you talk about company culture, look, winning is fun. And, and it's, it's fun. It's easier to build a culture, a strong culture, if you are the market leader and you've got data that shows it. And as opposed to, look, we're in 10th place, but, you know, if we do real well, we can move up to seventh, right? I mean, it's, it's fun to be on top. And so that's, I think, one of the reasons we've been able to attract a lot of talent. Yes. And I do want to talk about you guys being on top and getting to on top because you guys have doubled growth. Like each year you've gone from five to 30 plus employees. You've gone from 1500 account customer accounts to over 4,000. As you guys scale, as you grow, what's the hardest part about keeping the company culture and the product in sync with each other? Well, two, two different uh, concepts, although they're clearly very related. Um, look, Ronnie built the company. He built a fantastic company. But the tech was not, you know, the type of tech that could get us to 10,000 customers or 20,000 customers. So we've had to make some significant infrastructure investments in that. Again, fortunately, we've got a really talented engineering team that's done that. Um, but it's a challenge and it's not something that our customers see the benefit of. And so that's there's been a little bit of, hey, customers, like we're, we're doing all of these things that will benefit you. But you have to be patient with us. And then as soon as we've done them, then, you know, you'll see the real, real feature development coming. And that's, that's really what 2023 is all about. Um, but from a cultural standpoint, um, you just hire the right people. They're, they're hungry, right? There's no complacency here. And it's okay. Then what, once we do this, then what we're already looking ahead to 2024 because we know we can double in 2023 in terms of customers, in terms of revenue. So what are we going to do in 24 to keep that pace up? So you hire the right people that are both strategic, but also uh, competitive and, and it kind of takes care of itself. Yeah. What are some of the questions though, to like make like that, you know, when you're hiring someone, like I'm curious as someone that, you know, I'm, I'll have multiple jobs when I'm, I'll have multiple jobs throughout my life. I mean, how do you know when you have like a seller candidate when you're talking with them? I wish I knew the answer to that. <laughs> like, I mean, any any honest person would say they get 50% of them right and 50% yeah. of them wrong. But, um, you know, you want people that are are committed to a, a vision and a, and, a, and a higher purpose. And I'll say, like, when I, Pete and I decided to do this, it was, man, are we, are we really going to be able to build a, a strong culture? And what's, what's our mission at Skimmer? You know, we're an app for pool service companies. But 
as soon as we started digging into it and saw that, hey, we are affecting the lives and the, the future, I mean, the livelihoods of 1,500 employee, I mean, 1,500 owners, not to mention all of their employees, you start to talk to the customers and you realize that, hey, because of our app, they're able to grow their businesses. They're able to put their kids through college. They're able to spend time on the weekends that they never, they used to spend all their time invoicing customers. Now they're with their families and you have those tangible connections and you realize, wow, we are doing something every single day we come to work, we're doing something to improve the lives of, lives of our customers. So if you have that, that vision and that purpose, it's a lot easier to attract people. And so you need like-minded people that are not just in it for the money or not in it just because they're competitive. They want to actually help help their customers. Yeah. How, so I'm getting the sense that like it's a competitive culture in a good way, in a good way. I mean, there's some negative word connotations with that, but it's in a competitive culture in a good way. How do you keep that competitive culture knowing that you guys are the market leader? Is it something like, oh, well, like XYZ is right behind us? Or how do you keep that competitive culture as the market leader? Um, I mean, we don't even really look at the the competition in terms of yeah. like our, our goals. Our goals are our goals, regardless of whether we're the market leader. And so, you know, doubling every year gets harder as you get bigger and mm -hmm. you know, all large numbers. So that's the goal, not, not to be the market leader. The goal is how do we get, you know, how do we double our revenue next year? And, and we better think very strategically and really delight our customers if we're going to do that. So I, I, I don't, we don't really have a, a challenge with that. Again, there's no scorecards around our, our market mm -hmm. share. Yeah, I would say if we have a, if we have a competitor, it's pen and paper. Right. So, you know, we're, we're trying to we're trying to fill in white space. Right? We're trying to digitize uh, the industry. Yeah, I love that pen and paper concept. It's uh, similar to like what's who's the biggest competitor of Coke water. Uh, that's like a very similar concept. So I really like that one. <laughs> um, I'm also curious, uh, going back to strategic vision, what you guys want to do for 2023 and 2024. Are you able to share like some of the big bets that you guys are seeing in the market that you can take in 2023? Or is that just like, we can't disclose this because we know it's going to work so well, we don't want anyone else to hear. Well, what I will share is when we made the investment, we thought potentially, if not probably, we'll, we'll build a good team, we'll build really enhance and scale the product, and, and then we'll be able to take the technology to adjacent verticals, be it lawn care, pest control, HVAC, whatever. Um, yep. And we listen to what our customers wanted. Um, since we've been in this for two plus years now, we've realized uh, there's a huge opportunity just in the swimming pool service space. And so we're going to be laser focused on that for the next couple of years. We're not looking at, at adjacent opportunities. We're going to figure out ways to go get the white space he just talked about. And then once we even get more and more market share, there's there's a lack of technology throughout the pools industry. And so there's opportunities for us to really expand beyond the service professionals. So that's that's really our focus is let's let's continue to understand what our customers want and meet them where they want to be and, and go get more of them. Perfect. Awesome. Well, we are coming down to a conclusion here. I always do like to ask, though, uh, I'm, I'm 23 years old. A lot of people that are listening are going to be 23 years old or around my age. Uh, advice. Uh, I always like to open up the book to both of you. I do want to open up the book to both of you. What advice would you give to someone that's my age that really wants to strive for goals, that's ambitious, that wants to make a difference? Uh, what advice would you give to someone like me? Um, well, I'm a big, you know, kind of believer in um in people and working with people that 
you know, challenge you, excite you, help you grow. So I think my, my advice would be um, constantly be building your network, um, constantly be um, meeting new people um, and, you know, thinking about ways to collaborate in a similar to the way Jack and I did, I guess. Um, Don't be afraid to take risks. um, But when you take risks, um, take them strategically. um, And, and I think, betting on the right people is super, super important. And I just feel like, you know, so as you go through your career, just put yourself in situations where you're constantly learning, you're surrounded by interesting, thoughtful people that um, make you jump out of bed in the morning, excited to go to work. Um, if you're, if you're like limping out of bed in the morning, you're like, ah, I just don't want to deal with that place and those people. Yep. You know, uh, have the courage to just say, you know what, like, I don't need to do this. Um, I'm going to find the right spot for me. And for me, that's a combination of like doing the things that I'm good at that I like, uh, but also like trying to find areas where where there's room for growth, but really just like being around people that really enjoy, that I trust, that I'm excited to to partner with. Pete just took most of my uh, words of wisdom. <laughs> I'd probably add to that. I don't don't take advice from any one person. Everyone, it's just an opinion. Everyone's got their own and um, kind of riffing off what Pete said, just surround yourself by people that you can learn from. And it's not necessarily people older than you or wiser than you or more successful than you. It could be people, your peers, people you're managing, whatever it may be. Everyone's got, you know, talents that that we can learn from. And and I would say I'm, I'm a big believer in, you know, just be a sponge. I've got, I've got my kids or when my oldest is starting to think about college and everyone's telling him he has to figure out what he should major in when he's, you know, 18 years old. And and people think I'm joking when I say, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Like it's, you don't know. And so just have that humility to realize that, you know, you don't, you don't know everything and that's, that's good. That, That keeps you hungry. Awesome. I love it. So next time someone asks me to go for a walk, I'm a thousand percent going to say yes. Um, thankfully, I won't have to push them away six feet away, but maybe it'll turn into a great relationship like you two have. Um, so I want to thank you both so much for coming on the podcast. You're both were great. I love the conversation about Skimmer, where you guys are going, the culture um, and the advice you have. I always love hearing the advice. So thank you both so, so much for joining us. You were both great. Thanks, super, Ryan. Super fun, Ryan. Thanks for having us. Good luck. Hey, 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 everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode with Jack Nelson and Peter Friedland of Skimmer. Great conversation about how Skimmer is disrupting the pool service industry. We talked a lot about culture, talked about hiring the right people, and the advice they gave at the end was great. I always like getting two people on. You get two different perspectives, and it's almost like you do two interviews. Uh, if you learned something about entrepreneurship, why not drop a like on this video? Also, make sure to smash that subscribe button, turn on the notification bell for all of our upcoming episodes. I'll give you a hint. We have a ton of great guests. We don't want you to miss out on any of them. And lastly, let's whip out that smartphone. Let's get to Apple Podcasts. Let's get to Spotify and give us a five-star rating. It helps with discoverability. It helps get great guests like Peter and Jack on. And let's binge. You're here. Why not? You're on YouTube already. Check out some of our recent episodes to hear from great entrepreneurs just like Jack, just like Peter, that are changing industries and changing lives. And we will see you on the next podcast.